0: My mum always said to me, We went through all of these hoops for this green card and you're in such a privileged position to have this. Like the last thing that we want to see is like it to go to waste because she had seen her family members, aka my uncle, my aunt, etc., like their lives had got a lot better once they moved to the States. But the difference was that they had moved from like Africa to go to the States. Whereas Typically, you don't get many people moving from the UK to the States just because life is pretty good in the UK anyway. I'm not necessarily moving from a third world country where I don't necessarily have all of the, the things that the States has to offer.
1: Welcome to Deeper Dish. Welcome back to Deeper Dish. Today we have a very special guest, my friend Samir. Samir is different than most of my guests in that he's not from the United States. Obviously, if he's not from the States, he's not from Chicago. But he tells us about his journey from East London, one of the few people that grew up in East London that is not a West Ham fan. Hope you all enjoy. I typically ask folks, like, what's their connection to Chicago? But before we do that, how about you tell everybody where you're
0: from? Born and raised in London, England, east side of London. If you can tell, I don't really have that Chicago accent just yet. haven't been here long enough. I'm hoping one day I'll start to develop that <laughs> Chicago accent everyone tells what, me I should pick up on
1: What Chicago accent is that? Is that the, like, Polish sausage, yes. bears? Okay. I want to tell you a little secret. That Chicago accent, that's like a white person's accent. <laughs> like, the black the black people in Chicago do not talk like that. Yeah. Most of the black people, because we came from down south, yeah. we have, like, a southern brawl. Not, like, southern what you think, but, like, there's actually a southern African-American black. When people say, oh, you don't have a Chicago accent, and black person's like, no, none of us do. What is the east side of London like? Like, if you could describe it relative to something you've seen in Chicago or maybe it's just different.
0: I'll give you a brief bit of history about the east side of London. So East London has always been known as that working class area of London. It's where the dockyards were off like uh, okay. Docklands, Canary Wharf, Tilbury. It's quite notorious for some gangs. We had the Cray Brothers that kind of originated from there, which are probably... The lesser version of the Al Capone's of Chicago, I suppose. It's always been known as working class, kind of rough around the edges. Part of London, you know, you've got the centre of London there, which is the bright lights of Mayfair and Bond Street and Oxford Street. You've got South London, West London and North London. They're all different elements together. But East London is famous for that kind of attributes. Over the past 20 years or so, it's developed into this amazing melting pot of artists and great restaurants and new techs moving there so the likes of google facebook there was a lot of investment in that area now with the, all the banks of the head office in canary wharf so we had the olympics there as well in 2012 so that was all part of regenerating that area of east london now it's actually one of the kind of hot spots. If you live in London and you say you live in East London, hmm. that's like the cool, trendy place of like Shoreditch mm-hmm. and that kind of area and Hackney and these kind of places 10, 15 years ago. If I were to attribute it to Chicago, I guess people tell me about the West Loop or South Loop saying, you know. 10, 15 years ago, you wouldn't wanna be walking around here or say that you lived here.
1: You've lived there and seen this like quote unquote gentrification. When you go back now, do you miss the way it was or are you happy that it has become this bustling portion of the metropolis?
0: For me personally, I'm probably happy about it. With everything, there's pros and cons. I think there's definitely more pros the way that it's developed and changed with bringing jobs into that area with the kind of people that moved into the area versus the kind of people that have kind of moved out. So for me, I only personally see it as a benefit. There are definitely things that you do miss because it has come that kind of area now where you start to see the chains move in and some of the kind of mom and pop shops that you typically would see or the cafes where you would go for a traditional English breakfast have gone so one of the biggest changes was West Ham has now moved out their stadium got demolished and they built high-rise flats there that has a massive effect in that area because there were cafes pubs everything that relied on that income from football and now with that all gone and then moving into the Olympic Stadium, that stadium has no soul Because it's just basically an Olympic stadium that was turned into a football stadium because it fit the benefits of the owners. So for me personally, as someone who's got family and friends still there, I think it's only good the way Mm -hmm. it's kind of going down. But I definitely know for the people that uh, had really strong links and ties to it, because obviously I come from an immigrant family as well. So uh, the people that are there and had many generations of family that kind of grown up in the area, I definitely see that, you know, they're they're hurting and necessarily not a fan of how it's changed.
1: So you mentioned you come from an immigrant family. Prior to the immigrants moving there, what was the
0: makeup of the folks? Were they English English or what was the demographics? It's predominantly white, just white English people. As you know from history, that British Empire was based on them colonizing other countries, basically, and taking all their people there and then, you know, moving people around. That's the kind of history around it. And then as world wars took place and the, the population decreased, they started trying to utilize these countries where they'd colonized to bring people over to kind of help with support with jobs mm-hmm. so what you saw is a massive influx of people from the caribbean and africa that would been brought into the uk as well so there's a massive caribbean population in the uk so we had a notting hill carnival actually that happens every year that just took place last week and that's a three-day caribbean festival celebrating everything caribbean it brings people from all over the world that are attracted to there but but in terms of east london specifically as i mentioned why and then there's a massive influx of people from India as well and Africa. A lot of people don't know this about me because of my background being Indian, but both my parents were actually born in Africa. My roots are technically in Africa just because both my parents are born there and actually not in India. And they came directly from Africa to the UK. What part of Africa? So my dad was in Uganda and then my mom was in Kenya. Well, what were they doing there? (laughs) So uh, again, British Empire, when you work in the or part of the British army, you basically got positioned. If you had certain roles within the army, you Mm -hmm. got positioned in different parts of the world. The level that they were at, as in my grandparents, they got positioned in certain countries, aka Uganda and Kenya, respectively. If you had a certain position within the British army, you were given a British passport. That was kind of like, you know, your reward for being part of the British army and offering your services. So when my dad was born, he was automatically given a British passport. So... When the empire started to crumble and, like, you know, you finally had your freedom and you can kind of move around freely, he didn't actually have citizenship of the country he was born in and he didn't have citizenship of India. So, hence why a lot of people can move to the UK and they actually needed that workforce and people there in the UK just because of the population destination.
1: Your mom and your dad are both children of folks that migrated through the empire to Africa. Did they meet
0: in Africa? Or- no, they met in the UK. My parents were kids when they moved okay. to the UK, so they did college, university, etc. But so even they- that,
1: to have them both spend time in Africa and then meet, that can't be common.
0: you actually be quite surprised. Really? There is actually, oh, okay. yeah, especially in Kenya, there's a massive Indian community still to this They're day. Still there. In Uganda, the interesting story was there was a ruler there called Idi Amin, and he basically made a ruling that he wanted all non Ugandan citizens to leave the country within a month there was a lot of Indian people there as well went to the u k just because he actually kicked out everyone out of the country
1: not to say that his means was correct, yeah. but you could understand the sentiment of why hey you you've sent these people to to rule us, yeah <laughs> like now we, we thank you, but like yeah. you got to go when countries are Colonized sometimes it leads to like violent things happening.
0: Absolutely. And you know, one of the the things I think advantage of growing up in the UK education system is like when we study history, we get to learn about the British history. And obviously it's painted with a kind of a brush of like, you know, we went to these countries that you know were developing a third world and we, you know, we we save them. Yeah, yeah, we did it for the good, (laughs) for their benefit. I think something like India is like something that was considered their crown jewel because it was very rich and had spices and stuff, and they basically took it. And pillaged that country, and took everything good out of it, and set it back. There's a lot of people to this day that still going to have resentment towards the u k just based on some of their malpractices and how they necessarily treated people naturally. But I always laugh with people since I've been in the States that we don't have an independence day growing up in the UK. So I never celebrated an independence day until I moved to the States.
1: You don't celebrate the forming of the Magna Carta, right? (laughs) That was like the joining of all of the English tribes and I don't know what you call them. Kingdoms. Kingdoms together and say like, this is how we're going to rule together. So no, you don't, you don't celebrate that?
0: Unfortunately, that's not a date in our calendar that we get to celebrate. <laughs> okay. uh, so the joke that typically we have in England is like all the countries are celebrating Independence Day from the UK. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you
1: can celebrate with them. Yes. So does your family have customs from Uganda and Kenya that they keep up with?
0: To a certain degree i say there's certain words that they still incorporate into their speak. So, growing up as a kid we obviously would speak english at home and then you know there would be some mix of punjabi which is kind of the area of india that my ancestors etc are from but there would be words of Swahili, is the term in africa that they would utilize and use and i remember as a kid watching the lion king for the first time and watching it with my parents and my dad would be like that's not right. That's not how they say it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you know, they've Westernized that. Just so people oh yeah. Can... I, that's kind of my memory. And like there's certain food that they ate in Africa when we come across it in the UK or, or they do find it and discover it in a store. It'll be like, this is something we grew up on or had every yep. day. But... Essentially, those kind of customs, as anything, as you've lived in a country for so long, they're far and few between, right? You kind of adapt to where you're living. So it's not as common as I'm sure they would like to have. But there's still some elements that they fondly remember about Africa and some customs that they try and um, still remember or bring up.
1: The way you describe it, you have a pretty full life in London, right? You've got the neighborhood you grew up in is changing. Your family has lived in Africa, lived in London for a long time there's no reason to really leave the country, right? You got everything, you got your friends, you got your family, you got, you got this history. Here you are in Chicago, like what made Chicago so appealing or the United States so appealing?
0: I think that's a million dollar question that I've been asked so many times since I've moved here. I think everyone who comes across me and realizes I'm from London kind of turn around and say, you know, I would love to live in London. And I always say to some people, the grass is always greener on the other side. Mm-hmm. But I always remember growing up as a kid and being fascinated about the States and just America in general, where... A certain degree indoctrinated by US television everywhere. All the shows yeah. are growing up with Saved by the Bell and like Keaton and Cal and the commercialization
1: know, the, <laughs> of American culture.
0: Yeah, McDonald's and all of this stuff that we hold as staples of what America is. KFC. They yeah. love KFC over there. Yeah, KFC is still to this day they're opening more and more restaurants where in the States, you know, they're closing down more, which is yeah. baffling. There's still lines outside five guys and People have that vision in the UK of like what America is and what America stands for. And it's always considered that holy grail of like, I would love to get to America. I'd love to be in America. I'd love to visit America. And I was definitely one of those kids growing up. My first vacation as a kid was four years old going to Orlando with my parents so that's my first memory as a trip but also seeing mickey for the first time and all of that kind of good stuff obviously i wasn't old enough to go on any of the rides or tall enough but that was my first exposure to the united states and it was a different world versus what we see in the uk the the wide roads the big massive meals that you're served the food options like all of that kind of stuff like you know you're literally with your eyes wide looking around like you're a kid in a candy store and it was always something that i had in the back of my mind. So my mom's family, like my uncle, he was the first out of her family to move to the States. He was a doctor, moved over, did his qualifications in the US and became a fully French doctor, moved to Michigan. And I think after our first trip to the States, he reached out to my parents and was like, you know, "Do, do you want me to sponsor you? for a green card and i think at that time my parents were like yeah sure kids are fairly young i was four my sister was around six and it was like yeah why not there's a chance to better their lives so he did the application and i think we just forgot about it because we didn't realize how long the wait time was and to kind of give you an idea 15 years later you get <laughs> a, a mail in the post saying that your application for your green card is now ready to be processed wow so that love affair always kind of lived with me but by that time i had kind of almost forgotten about the US and so like you know it's a great place to visit but I've got friends I was just about to start college I wasn't really interested in going to the states and we went through the whole process we had interviews at the embassy all of that kind of stuff and so we then qualified and got that green card so like okay great we've got it one of the things around the green card is that you have to visit every six months to a year. Otherwise it can potentially take it away from you. So you could get quiz at the airport, how long you've been out the country for, why you've been out the country for, all of these kind of things. So there's a certain responsibility that comes with it. So as the years went on while I had it, I would always get people saying, you know, we would kill for this opportunity or love this opportunity to potentially move to States and you've got it. Why don't you do it? I guess the brainwave kind of hit when I was 27 or 28, where I was just like, You know, I've got no commitments. I've got no family as in not married or anything. I don't want to have regrets going older when I do settle down and have a wife or kids that, you know, what if, what? And I kind of said to myself, I give myself six months. And that was the basis of how I took that plunge. I literally quit my job, said to my manager I was moving to. America and I still remember his reaction when I told him I was like I'm gonna to move to the states and I was working in sales and the beer side so he was driving at the time I call him on his cell phone and I was like I just want to tell you that I want to hand him my notice I've decided to move on and the assumption for him was that I've found another job and I was like no I'm moving to America he was <laughs> like I'm driving and then he had to pull up to compose himself. And then he calls me back and he's like, America? Why the hell America? And, I like the accent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's from up north. So it was just, i was trying to, my best Northern accent. That was a similar reaction I got from most people. And then when I said Chicago on top of it, the stories of, you see about Chicago, there was a the guy that had just done a documentary who's a guy called Ross Kemp. And he typically goes to the most dangerous parts in the world. He went to Afghanistan, Iraq, he went to Compton and he had just done his show in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> and he went uh, to like, the south side of Chicago. And I remember watching that. And uh, he talked about Chirac, which is a term that I had come across until I watched that documentary when you say the word Chicago, people are like, are you mad?
1: Well, just so you know, most Chicagoans hate that term. Like most people on the South side or West side that are quote unquote air quotes woke, but Chicago gets sensationalized. There's no in between. It's either the downtown, the business district or the South and West side, which as you can see, you come in my neighborhood, like there is an in between. It's like, it's just a sleepy little neighborhood. It's a whole bunch of sleepy little neighborhoods like this.
0: I was familiar with Chicago to a degree because A, I had my aunt that lived in Naperville. So as a kid growing up, we had been to Naperville. So Mm -hmm. like I'd seen Chicago and then her kids had kind of grown up and stuff like that. So there were people there that I knew and could leverage. But essentially I had to start from ground zero. Like I didn't realize when you move to the States how important having a credit history is. So even trying to get basics like getting a cell phone, they look up your credit score or your credit history. Zero. Okay, okay oh we can't help you with that or you know you have to get a co-signer to sign you for a cell phone and I didn't realize how immobilized I was basically like didn't
1: didn't you have a credit history in in England
0: yeah but they don't reference that they don't reference that it's all here America is almost like you're starting yourself like from scratch Uh, so
1: you qualified for application at 19 you waited almost eight years right in between there you're coming here often to keep your status right to keep your status going what were you thinking between 19 and 27 right you waited those eight years to like take the plunge what were you thinking during that eight years was there one thing that triggered you to be like i gotta do this right now
0: i think if i'd done high school here or I'd come sooner it wouldn't have been so much of a, a pain point for me it's when you've lived in the area for so long and i had never lived abroad prior to this thinking about living abroad and stuff like that was just at the back of my mind I I use the term when I say I moved I was in my comfort zone everything was kind of status quo in my life I had some of the friends I still hang out with that I grew up with in from high school like you know day one of high school that I'm still friends with today college I knew everything at the back of my hand everything which was very easy and mundane for me I had a very Good settled job. The culture in the UK is we have a lot of vacation days. Like I know you guys joke about it and laugh, but yeah, like six it, weeks, yeah. seven weeks. <laughs> yeah, we know we're we going get, on holiday for three weeks. Prince like, Williams what? getting married, everyone gets a day off. They, like go to the pub <laughs> early, which is <laughs> fantastic. And now that I live in the states, I look back at those with fond memories. But yeah. so for me, it was just like, well, this is a pain. Every time I had any vacation time, oh, I have to go to the states to just do this mundane thing of getting a, a passport stamp. I remember. For once, I decided I'm not going to go to the States. I'm going to go elsewhere. We went to Dubai. First time I've ever been to Dubai. Got that Dubai stamp in my passport. Next time I went to the States, guess what gets flagged up on the passport. So they go through, oh, you've been to Dubai. looks like loads of Arabic writing. The profile of me looking slightly Arabic as well. Like I would get more grief at the, I, w- the, I
1: wouldn't say slightly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe I need to shave this beard yeah. off. Like It might help me, but...
0: <laughs> But I would get more grief typically when I would go through the U.S. immigration system just because of the fact of the profiling after September 11th, the way I looked.
1: I get randomly checked 60% of the time because I have a name. It literally is Arabic.
0: So my name's Samira as well, like it can be construed as an Arabic name. I think after September 11th, a lot of stuff changed within the U.S. and the mm-hmm. perception of people from outside of the U.S. Yeah, there was definitely, definitely. That, that isolationism that took place where people, to a certain degree, were just like, we're Americans and this is who we are. And everyone outside that looks slightly Arabic-looking or brown-looking to a certain degree, there's always going to be that second double stare.
1: Your application came through before September 11th or after September 11th? After, actually. After, okay. Yeah,
0: so... How the actual system works, they would give preference to if you're sponsoring your parents to come over because you know that's a priority or one of your kids or someone like that. So they would take priority status. And how they typically do these green card applications is they do it in quotas. So they'll do a certain amount of people that they would let in every year that they would give a green card to my uncle sponsoring my mom was considered the lowest priority on that list just because it's a brother sister a sponsorship and she was over the age of 21 so it's not deemed as someone that's not an adult that they need to kind of bring over so they only had a certain quota of people and then from my understanding after september 11th there was a lot more scrutiny in terms of green card processing oh, and applications I which i felt added to this so in terms of our actual processing and when it actually started to kick off it was around 2004 i'd say that involved interviews at the embassy we also had to have x-rays of our lungs just to make sure we weren't bringing any diseases into america like there was a lot of hoops that we had to get through to proof of income etc and once you'd kind of establish all of that that's only then that they would actually give you a green card that's valid for 10 years every 10 years you have to renew it and then the idea would be that they can kind of take it away at any point just because like, they don't feel that you're abusing it or yeah. or, or not looking after so, it.
1: So you're 27 years old. Yeah. You leave your job. You call your manager. He goes apeshit. So you land in the States. You don't have a job. What do you do?
0: When I gave my notice to my manager, he made me work a two-month notice period because he thought I might change my mind which was quite funny as well. So typically in the UK, you work a one-month notice period. They made me work two months because his idea was this might be a rash decision. The way I approached it was like a rubber band mentality. I needed that kind of fire under me to be like, okay, now that I've given this notice in, it's happening. It's real. Otherwise, it would just be considered, oh, there's another month's gone by. I'll do one or two more applications and hope for the best. So (laughs) so I made the decision. I remember telling my friends. My parents were supportive of it which is good because my mom always said to me we went through all of these hoops for this green card and you're in such a privileged position to have this like the last thing that we want to see is like it to go to waste because she had seen her family members aka my uncle my aunt etc like their lives had got a lot better once they moved to the states but the difference was that they had moved from like Africa to go to the states whereas typically you don't get many people moving from the uk to the states just because life is pretty good in the uk anyway i'm not necessarily moving from a third world country where i don't necessarily have all of the the things that the states has to offer so everything here that you guys have to offer i typically had in the uk but it was more about for me it was the personal development of can i do this can i live in a different country can i challenge myself like can i get out of this comfort zone and i gave myself six months if this doesn't work i'll Put my hand up, I'll be like, I tried, it's not for me, Um, but I didn't wanna have what ifs. I basically planned it out so I'd fly after my dad's birthday. So Everyone came over and said their goodbyes and stuff like that. And I still remember when I got dropped off at the airport, like how emotional my parents were just because being the only son as well, that stands for a lot from the Indian community because you're typically seen as that person who's gonna look after your parents as they get older, et cetera but I was like you know just blinkers on let's just let's go go for it let, very selfishly let's 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 kind of think about yourself here and, and kind of go for it so any kind of qualifications you typically have from the UK a lot of the US don't even recognize it they're like if you haven't been to a US university or got US accreditation we're not necessarily going to recognize this and like I had to go through the process of learning about health insurance you know that's a minefield in itself when you've grown up in the UK where you're used to free healthcare. like I could break my leg tomorrow, go straight to hospital from an ambulance and walk out, have an operation and not think twice about it. Whereas I remember people telling me, "Oh, if you have a heart attack, don't call an ambulance here because that's like 2000 straight off the bat. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's cheaper to take an Uber. So to a certain degree, it's a culture shock because oh, definitely. why I always reference the grass is always greener is because when you go on vacation to a place, you see... The niceties of everything. You know, when people say they've been to London, they're like, oh my God, the shopping's amazing. I've seen like the great castles and palaces and we had afternoon tea, but that's not really how people live in the UK, right? Coming over to the US, we see huge freeways and like outlet malls and all of that kind of stuff. I <laughs> went <laughs> Big Macs, Mickey Mouse,
1: <laughs> and South Side of Chicago.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you don't see that when you're on quote on a vacation.
1: I know you give yourself six months. But like, how long did it take you to find a job? How long did it take you to feel comfortable?
0: Two months to okay. like, find a job. And that was just basically because doing all the other running around to just get yourself settled and have the creature comforts that you would like. The job was necessarily not the top of priority of mine. You know, I had savings. I bought myself some time to adapt. But I definitely think straight off the bat, when I was applying, people were definitely confused. I, I definitely remember having phone interviews and people were like, so, wait, are you in the UK still? Or, like, what's your immigration status? Like, those would be the kind of common questions that I'd have. And it wasn't necessarily about my skill sets so or what I could bring. It was more about, okay, try and help us understand this. Like, do we need to pay for you to stay here? Is this only for a temporary thing? And it was frustrating because it's like I would have sometimes not hear back from these people where I knew I'd be qualified for it. It's just because I don't think they necessarily understood the whole green card process. The HR people, like the screeners, when they would speak to you, and it's probably like, this is a bit too complicated here. We've got these five other candidates. that would be a lot easier to just interview.
1: But it's funny how that ignorance could have an adverse effect on you, right? You almost have to explain to them something that you feel like you shouldn't just to get to the point to even present yourself and your skill set.
0: And I remember going to my first face-to-face interviews when I got past that. And the accent and living in England and stuff like that would take up that interview process and it would just be that fascination of people like, oh my God, I wasn't expecting that or I love your accent. I definitely feel that the UK is a lot more, because it is such a melting pot of people from all different walks of life and being part of the EU for a short while still, I think that there is probably a lot more understanding to give you an example, like one of my things that I always look back on in my first experiences when I moved to America was this whole water thing. Growing up in East London, we speak with this Cockney accent where we say stuff like water or water because we don't pronounce our like A's or our T's. So it's like whatever, water. And I was at a restaurant and I just asked for a glass of water. And the lady was like, sorry, honey, I don't understand you. And I was like, can I have a glass of water? And she didn't understand me still. So the person next to me was like, I don't think she can understand your accent. So I was like, can I have a glass of water? And she's like, yeah, sure, honey. Like, definitely, (laughs) I'll get that for you right away. And what cracks me up is like, you know, there was no attempt to try and figure out what I was saying, get close to it. It was like, I don't understand you. You're speaking a foreign language. Whereas knowing the UK, that would never happen. It'd be like, I think you're saying this. Am I correct? Or
1: We're a young country. We're going through a phase of becoming much more diverse, and we handle diversity very different than England or the UK does. There's a good portion of our population that has never left 150 miles of where they live, and so they've never heard anyone speak the way you're speaking or never been exposed to this. And quite frankly, they don't have to adjust, whereas other countries, you have to adjust to get by. It's more of a melting pot.
0: Like, I think one of the fascinating stats for me being in the U.S. was understanding that 40% of the people here don't own a passport. Some stat like that that I read and came across, like, it's the nature of the jog. You travel around the States and I get, like, a three-hour flight. Every state is almost different. But growing up in Europe where I could take the Eurostar and within an hour and a half be in Paris or take a flight to Barcelona or Rome or any of these things, and it was just like, oh, let's do a weekend trip here. I grew up and I know a lot of people in the UK and Europe just grew up on that kind of culture of, okay, that appetite of wanting to learn and that hunger of experiencing stuff. Whereas I can see the both sides of it, why people don't necessarily need the US because going to California in winter, when I've experienced the Chicago winter here, like, you know, you could be on the beach in December and in four hour flight, I'll be back in Chicago when it'd be like negative yeah. 20. My observation of being in the States, as long as I've been here so far is the fact that everything is about the U S like the news that you watch is local news. And mostly what's happening in the U S we grew up in UK and Europe is about the world news and what's going on in the world. And you have a better understanding of the world. I joke with you. And I've said this to you several times. It's like baseball, NBA and stuff. You call these guys world champions and world series. It's like, well, no one else was playing apart from these U S teams. like, (laughs) how can you be the world champion? So why do you need to look at anything else outside of the U S because we, the U S has everything to offer. So like, you know, There's nothing really else outside there that you need to really even think about or worry about.
1: There are infinitely more people in China and more people in India than the US. I think that there are some social, financial, cultural things that are embedded in us that makes us the way we are. I think if you go back to the genesis of anybody's founding, it'll tell you a lot about where people are right now. Because India was a colony, They have the same approach where it's an outward-looking place. I've never been, but I'm sure they have local news. But on average, the average citizen knows what's happening around the world. They can probably name you more leaders of other countries than the average American. Good. right? We just had a huge election in Mexico. Very few people would be able to tell you in the United States who the new Mexican president-elect is. They probably couldn't tell you who the Canadian prime minister is. They couldn't tell you that there's a president and a prime minister in Mexico or that there's a prime minister in Canada who the prime minister in India is. So these other countries are definitely outward looking. They're outward looking because we have a natural infrastructure or we have a natural advantage of being the world's currency, the world language. We have the most robust economies in the world. Our standard of living is high so people look outward just like there was a certain brand equity of the United States when you were growing up. This idea that no matter how good I'm doing now, I can probably be it a little bit better than the U.S. Here, I can say, whether you're the wealthiest person or the poorest person, the mentality is everybody wants to come here. Why do I have to work? Like, this is a cultural thing. Why do I have to worry about anything else? Even beyond the geography of like, it's snowing and Chicago and it's different climate in in California around the same time of year I think because the world treats us this way we have an ego about ourselves that's very different than the Canadian ego like people cater to us because we're big and we're going to take advantage of that but with that being said there are a lot of people here so I don't want to paint a broad brush that I do believe in like looking outward I believe that that the United States just has this ego thing because the world treats us that way. But like, let's say in 50 years, if the Euro is a currency or the, or the Chinese currency is the currency that we use, it'll change certain things. I also think how we were founded plays a part in it too. You think about Haiti, you think about countries that had to fight for their freedom, have a much more maverick tendency about their culture. We have that too, because we're still young, but like you look at Haiti, you look at the United States, you look at some of these African countries, typically have a more aggressive stance on how they approach things because they've had to fight for their freedom. Working is not the only thing that makes you feel like you're thriving in the, a city or a community. There's these other things. So what, what are these other things that you were looking at saying like that determine if you were happy?
0: A friendship circle, I think, is definitely one of the things that you definitely need. I credit FaceTime a lot because I feel like with the way technology is developed, I can only imagine how it was for my parents when they had to move to different countries when you didn't have iMessage or or WhatsApp or or Facebook to just let someone know that you're okay or you're thinking about them. You would literally mail that letter out. And, they didn't even have
1: snail mail. Yeah. It was like, it had to go over oceans and then it had to like touch two or three different countries before it even got.
0: And the fact that I'm in group chats now with my parents and my friends and I could get instant response on something or I could take a photo of something funny I've seen and send it to them. I would get instant response and these people are thousands of miles away. I think honesty helps when in terms of like when you're trying to embrace living abroad because I think to myself, if I'd done this 20 years prior. I feel the world would have been a lot more of a lonelier place. So what I attribute me developing into the US and fitting in was I took an active interest in US sports. I learned the history of the NFL. I watched basketball. In order to try and participate in conversations that people would be having at work, as you get older, it's a lot harder to make friends because you're not necessarily going to college and stuff like that with people. The friends that I was introduced to were typically... Colleagues that have said, Oh, I'm going to this party, you should come along. And you're almost that tag along person to a certain degree. You're like, I went from being like the most popular person that would bring people into my friendship circle now being that tag along or third wheel that would go to other parties and right. then be introduced to everyone and say, Oh, this is a person I work with and stuff like that. But was that always- hard? You have to suck up your pride. I put it that way. I knew full well what I was getting myself into when I moved here. It was I didn't go in here with my eyes closed and think, you know, it's gonna be all sunshine and rainbows. I you have to be in that sometimes in those awkward rooms where you're like, I don't get on with anyone in this room. Like, but I'm just gonna suck it up and like, because this is all part of just you know, mixing up and embracing American yeah. culture. I'm coming up to nearly being here for three years, but to this day, I still don't understand ice hockey. Don't watch ice hockey game. Baseball still bores the death out of me. Like I try and watch it on TV, and I just I just can't give it my my time and commitment.
1: Relative to other American sports, it's long. There's a lot of like standing around, not doing anything, but it's a whole bunch of strategy involved. Relative to like basketball, it's, it's constant fast paced, there's dunks, footballs, there's the hits, it's all it's like outside of like halftime, everything is very fast paced. What you're describing about baseball is kind of why it's losing viewership, so so to speak.
0: I, but- I will say being a British guy living in Chicago and witnessing the Cubs win the World Series <laughs> yeah. was that was my first year. Like being here and witnessing that was absolutely fascinating. Just to be a part of that, uh, I definitely did take an interest and you know watched it just because I got sucked up into like that whole credence of like you live in Chicago and this is a big deal and haven't won the World Series for 100 years or so or whatever the, the thing was and witnessing that I feel it's something like I saw people crying on the street I saw the parade because it went past where I live and just to see the emotion and what it does for the city and
1: what you're describing is one of the main reasons why people love baseball is like the, the emotional aspect of it celebrating like having fun having a few drinks but we definitely should also talk about what do you love and don't love about Chicago.
0: I've grown accustomed to living here now. Like with anything, you start to adjust to your environment yep. as the longer that you, you spend in somewhere. I feel settled now in, within my job and the fact that for the first time in my life, I own a place. I purchased a place. So like I've set down roots here. So You yeah. got credit. <laughs> I've got credit. I've got a good credit score. <laughs> it feels more permanent for me now. If I was continuing to rent it would always be in the back of my mind that flexibility that once your lease is up you can kind of keep it moving and like move somewhere else so for me now at this present moment and things can change just based on like how the world is changing but I still think for me the US is the best place for me now just from a career perspective but also personal development I'm 31 years old there's still a lot of development that I still feel that I need to do as a person and I feel this is the place to do it. Whenever I go back home and I get the privilege of going back home a couple of times a year, home is always going to be home. And like, it's still the status quo to a certain degree. Like, my friends are still in the same jobs that they were doing before I left. It's almost like if I didn't move, would I just be doing that same stuff? Whereas, I look at myself now and I'm like, i have in the States, I've been to all these different states I've never been to, I've experienced all these different cultures from the Miami scene where I've done meetings where people are speaking in Spanish and I'm trying to like you, you speak to someone with a translator, then go to Colorado and all of these other kind of things that I've got to do that I wouldn't have had the privilege or right. opportunity to do if I was living in the UK factoring all of that in and having a friendship group now and family and stuff like that here obviously my parents all still live in the uk and obviously you do miss them but at this present moment i feel settled that that's what's kind of keeping me in the states and what's keeping me in the u.s in terms of the future who knows what's going to happen in five ten years down the line and
1: so what is it about chicago that keeps you in chicago
0: I love it in the summer. I hate it in the winter. How I I would would describe it. So so
1: you're a native now then, I mean, that's how we feel.
0: (laughs) Prior to me moving to Chicago, I've been to New York. I'd been to LA. I could never see myself personally living in New York. New York is probably the closest it is to like London. If you were to put a, a city on top of another city and say like, you know, sketch it out, what is the closest match? I think New York and London are probably on par. For me, the biggest thing is people. And my experiences in New York, Bumping into the people and seeing the people there is just not something that I could see myself living there. I can see it's a great place to again visit. Like, I was brainwashed by American media thinking LA was like the, the most amazing place on earth. Seeing it on TV, you think there's beaches everywhere, everyone's stunning and beautiful. I went there, and the first time I went there, I was absolutely gobsmacked that the Hollywood Walk of Fame, there's like homeless people on the street sleeping. Like it's not what it's necessarily cracked up to be. There would always be these California adverts about visit California. It's amazing. And I thought, you know, if I moved to the States, that's going to be the place that I moved to. Why would anyone want to live there? And I get that all the time when I go back to the UK. It's like people are like, oh, I'd love to move to LA. I'd love to move to San Francisco. I was like, go there once and then tell me if you'd still want to live there. What I like about Chicago is not only the people are really friendly, it's, got a great history it's got a great architecture like one of the things i did was the architecture boat ride you really get an appreciation of the city and how stunning it is and how beautiful it is built on the river and you don't see that in other states that i've visited like i don't think that has that beauty it's industrial it has that skyline but also has a lot of history and there's a there's, there's a lot of culture there it's a great food city as well so i'm a big person who likes food and you know the fact that i can experience lots of different cuisines there it is great being a big sports fan as well it's a great sports city that Melting Pot is what makes me love Chicago. And things that I don't like about Chicago, I hear a lot about the way that this city is going in terms of its debt and people saying that this could be the next Detroit and stuff like that. And... Uh, I have many Uber drivers that seem to be very big conspiracy theorists who always tell me about stuff. It's a very expensive city to live to a certain degree, right? I know it's not San Francisco and stuff, but like being owners of property and knowing how much property tax is and, you know, all the other kind of stuff that we get taxed and stiffed on. I was watching the local news recently and I saw 35,000 Chicagoans have moved to Kentucky in the past 18 months. And there's like areas now where there's a whole streets just full of people of Chicago. And it's like a bare standard of living. There's still jobs and everything there. What I don't necessarily like about Chicago is the way that the the standard of living and everything is kind of changing here. And I also feel that there needs to be something done with the, the homelessness around here. Like it was a shock to my system to see how many homeless people there are there. And I definitely do feel sad, especially when it is winter. The pros definitely outweigh the cons for me, but I feel there's certain things that need to be addressed about this city as well.
1: One of the things that's happening in Chicago with the population and the demographic is that there are a lot of lower middle class Folks moving out. So essentially, what on average the city is becoming more affluent. And with that comes pros and cons, right? I mean, San Francisco is a prime example of it getting out of control. I think the long term plan, if our mayor had it his way, would be the city would just be one big blob of affluence. And then the people that came in to do like service jobs would come from outside the city. You know, he would just want to move all the poor people. Out of the city, the type of crime that people don't like, there is a belief that that originates with poor people. So I understand the logic. I don't agree with it. <laughs> I just, I just
0: understand it. I would like to ask you one question because I'm definitely keen to get your perspective on this. Obviously, being yeah. a Chicagoan, is do you think Obama being a president helped or hindered Chicago? Like
1: Barack Obama becoming president, Obama is net net a benefit to Chicago. President Obama being president is net-net a benefit to everybody in our country, everybody in the world. Unless you are a hardcore Republican or somebody that was just opposed to him, there's no way in the world that you can say that this person was not a great human being, a person that you would want your kids to aspire to be, to carry himself, to be uh, as far as being educated, being a person of diverse backgrounds, because he was president and because he was a Democrat, and because the next president was not a Democrat, Chicago becomes this lightning rod for them to say, talk about crime, for them to plaster across the media in all a lot of countries. are like, see, hey, gun control doesn't work because this and this and this. And where it really is is coding for black people. And this is associated where Obama's from. Obama's actually not from Chicago. He's from Hawaii. There's a lot of attacks in the media on Chicago because of that. Some of it is warranted because we do in certain neighborhoods, the crime is bad. It's underinvested. So in that sense, it's bad, right? Because there's gonna be some little Samirs growing up in England, in India, in Uganda. They're gonna think that Chicago is this horrible place. It's all crime. We're not the murder capital of the United States. We have our problems. But if you don't come here and see it for yourself, you'd be like, that's what Chicago is. That's the bad part. That's the hesitation part. The positive part is we had someone who came here, embraced Chicago, loved Chicago, is a Chicago White Sox fan who married a Chicagoan. His wife is also brilliant. Not only is she from Chicago, I hate to use this term because Italians use this to describe balatoli is that Michelle Obama is from South Side of Chicago, was able to get into an elite school in Chicago, then on went on to the Ivy Leagues, became a prominent lawyer, was a special woman before she met Obama, was making more money than Obama. She represents the best of like of a person that's born in Chicago. He embraced that. He married this woman and like pretty much gave up his Hawaiian background and said, I'm a Chicagoan. He brought a sense of like awareness to Chicago that other people couldn't bring. He won a Nobel Prize, all these things. Whether you think he deserved that stuff or not, he highlights Chicago through his actions, his behavior, and then also holding the highest office. And he was the first African-American president. He is truly African and American, not like... African-American like his wife is. He's of African descent, one generation removed from Africa, whereas a lot of us here are many, 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 many generations removed from Africa. Some of his policies overall help the community. One of the things that people would say is that because of his position and because he was African-American, he actually couldn't do as much as people thought he should for the black community or for Chicago. He would be cast as like, this is a black president only looking out for black people. So in a sense, he was handcuffed. It'd be like if you became president you're like, oh, he's showing favorites towards Indian Americans or Indians or people that lived in Africa, whatever, right? That's just how the game works. He represented what was best of our country and he was from Chicago. So that that obviously brings the the extinction. So net, net, yes, but there's a lot of other, there's a lot of baggage that came with him being president.
0: As an outsider looking in, I think most people around the world Look to their adult why can't we have a president like that and why can't we have like someone who speaks so eloquently and like you know so cool who could tell you that out of a rap battle like you know Drake, would lose to kendrick and stuff like that like he just seemed to know about everything and anything from sports to culture and stuff and i would love to tune in and watch his speeches and just hear him talk people have such mixed reviews they were expecting him to be a messiah or a savior and you know thinking that you know he was going to basically change it and people not necessarily realizing that you know he's the president of the united states and the leader of the free world and not the president of chicago and like he can't change things with a click of the finger and yeah I've done a lot of research and understanding how your political system works, which is very, very (laughs) complex as well. Having your hands tied and must have been very frustrating for him.
1: Net-net, I'm a fan, but I'm also not like drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, like everything he did was perfect because a lot of his policies weren't perfect. But net-net, who I was when he was elected and when he took office, I'm in a much better place because of the environment, you know, he created financially, socially. Culturally, like I love the fact that we made so much progress socially on some issues under his watch. So, when you saw that on TV, did that make you want to come here even more?
0: I think it resonated with me more like, you know, they always say that America is a land of opportunity. And, you know, if you're good enough at anything, you can achieve your goals and your dreams. And I think to a lot of people, he was a poster child of it. He was, he had all the odds stacked against him. I think that kind of cemented in my head that america really lives up to that kind of thing that you know if you're good and you work hard there should be no barriers per se that prevent you kind of getting to the top and look at some of the biggest companies that exist in the us and i see the ceo of google being a guy from india and the ceo of pepsico being a lady from india the ceo of microsoft being a indian guy and you kind of think to yourself like these people grew up in india and they moved to the states and now ceos of some of the most prestigious companies in the world Paints that picture that there is no barrier to where you can get to if you have got the skill sets and you've got the work ethic and all the other kind of things that you yep. obviously need to be successful. When I was a kid growing up, looking at the United States and my views now of living here and experiencing life in the U.S., that I still fundamentally believe and have witnessed firsthand that you know, if you set your mind to something, and there's a lot of barriers that you can overcome to a certain degree. Like you know, you mentioned you need to have a lot of luck and you have, need to have a lot of headwinds that are going in your favor. There is no necessarily glass ceiling, per se, that you, yeah. I, I, I might be me being naive. I haven't been here long enough, but.
1: I'll take you to some places if you want to see them that have some glass ceilings. There are glass ceilings. A lot of times it's not like a solid glass ceiling for everybody. It's like a glass ceiling for certain people. Like if you were in the honors track, you're going to get certain advantages, whether you're black or white, but you're still going to be treated somewhat differently. As some companies, not not naming companies, but in some companies, right, they're made up of a lot of women. But as you get higher up in the ranks, you see less and, you see fewer and fewer women. So in that sense, there is a glass ceiling. What would it take for you to move away from Chicago? Uh,
0: in terms of another state, or are we talk about back home, like anywhere. I think with anything, it's your circumstances, right? I guess that's what it boils down to. I'm definitely someone who likes to try and develop and improve my horizon as much as i can so i'd never say never like i went to japan and fell in love with japan like i went to tokyo and experienced the culture there and the way people treat each other and the cleanliness and all of that kind of stuff so if there was an opportunity to work out there i would uh, definitely try and embrace that i mentioned about obviously going back home and the fact that my parents are still there and wanting to be there and and support them as, as they obviously they get older so those are the kind of factors that I look at. But again, at this present moment, I'm still being selfish. You know, I don't have anything that's necessarily keeping me in Chicago per se, apart from owning a place and having a job here. If the right opportunity or the right experience came up, then I I would definitely look at it uh, and not be dismissive of it. So I can't kind of give a definitive answer of what there are many different things that could happen that would make me want to move away from Chicago. But I know I would definitely miss it because I think I did a lot of growing up in this city. and I think I definitely matured and I think there's some of the things that I've learned and garnered while being here and stuff like that has made me the person I am today.
1: Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah. Editing, mixing is done by the team at Anamnesis Audio. Produced by me, Farah. Our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls, and the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at DeeperDishShy at gmail.com. Our website is www.deeperdishshy.com.